Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. My guest this week is a physical therapist who has been in the telehealth space for a number of years. I know tail end of 2020, telehealth is kind of old news, right? Well, I had this interview with him back in the summertime and just now getting around to posting it. But we talked a lot about not just telehealth in the sense of using it as a stopgap measure to sort of get patients in the door, get a revenue stream while patients aren't able to be seen during all these lockdowns that occurred in 2020. But really, we talked about how to make telehealth an integral part of the service delivery system at your healthcare facility. So we talked about things like cash-based services or out-of-network services. We talked about asynchronous telehealth, remote monitoring, that sort of thing. So hopefully you find this interview uh, insightful and you can take some of the, the tips and tricks he gives um, to, to apply that into your daily practice. Again, Daniel Seidler is a PT and he runs a company called TelePT Solutions and we'll link to all of his information in the show notes. I know he's got a course on uh, like telehealth 101 getting started and getting the systems in place and all of that so that might be something you want to look into and again i'll put those links in the show notes on the post uh, without any further ado here's daniel seidler talking about uh, telehealth in healthcare hey daniel welcome to the show how are you pretty good how you doing Rafi? good to be here thanks I'm doing all right well for those that may not know you tell us a little bit about yourself your pt in the in your previous life so talk about being a pt and then what got you into doing telehealth and and now your company right. telept yeah uh once a pt always a pt yeah. of course <laughs> um and uh i i worked for a hospital for a few years and then i owned my own practice for 15 years in the bronx and we had locations in the bronx new york and westchester new york um Eventually, I partnered um, in 2016. I partnered with a larger group called Regional Group Motion Physical Therapy, and worked for them for a few years. Um, I did some. I worked as manager. I was a director of business development, and eventually, I, I developed their telehealth, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy programs. Um, put all that in place and worked on it for about a year, and left the company in September and started my own consulting firm. Um, Motion was ready for for the COVID moment when it happened, um, and I was ready as well. I had my policy procedures, had a whole um, uh, system of doing telehealth for for rehab practices, and a lot of people contacted me in that time to get over that hump to to stop the bleeding essentially, and you know keep their practices um, operating. And at the time, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about this being a long um, telehealth being a long term solution for physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, um, in their practices. It really should be an important component of what they do for the long term. And some have 
heeded that advice and they're they're still rolling with it and doing great and really using telehealth in a lot of different ways in their practices. Um, and some of some have not um, <laughs> stuck with it as much. And I get it. I understand. I mean, I think it was it definitely was a good solution for a very intense short term problem. Um, but, you know, I still look at telehealth right now, particularly in, in rehab, um, outpatient, PTOT speech um, as a really important component going forward. And, you know, we've had this conversation before where we I, I told you, I think 20 percent of an outpatient practice should probably be committed to telehealth. And I know we're going to talk about how that's going to happen and in what all the different components of that and and how telehealth can be utilized. Yeah. Yeah. Cause during, you know, the COVID crisis, a lot of people sw- switched to basically telehealth using, you know, zoom and a smartphone. Right. And you're talking yep. down the line, or at least we should be building into our businesses telehealth as a cornerstone, right. Of the treatment practices and delivery that we offer through our, our clinics. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, I think the, the practices that are, that have expressed the most frustration to me are those that have expected telehealth to be um, a direct-to-consumer link for them. Uh-huh. That they, they, they sort of expected to put, I think a few of them expected to put um, telehealth on their website and say, you know, we do telehealth visits, we do virtual visits um, or remote visits. And because during, during, during uh, March and April, patients were coming to them in that way. And I think that's happening less and less at the moment. I'm not saying that's not going to happen again in the future. I think that will be a, there'll be a big market for that, the direct-to-consumer um, PTOT speech. But at the moment, you know what what I've what I've seen work the best is practices that are they're they're sort of using their conventional means of of um, patient intake and and inflow of patients, referrals from docs and um, SEO marketing, word of mouth repeat patients, things like that, and explain to the patients how telehealth can be an important component of their regular plan of care. So, you know, someone comes to them with a total knee replacement and the doc wants them to get PT three times a week, that yeah. patient can be doing, particularly if they're, you know, they're, they're, they're challenged with transportation and, and maybe shouldn't be in a, in a PT clinic um, three times a week just because of the exposure, maybe other medical conditions and um, comorbidities, right? Um, to reduce their risk and just convenience. Like, why not do one visit at one, one or two visits in the clinic and the other one uh, remotely? Yeah. I think that should be part of all plans of care at this point and going forward. Yeah. So that brings up an interesting point. So I've, I've consulted in the space too, and I had some clients that are, have started businesses and have seen patients entirely remotely. They've never seen them in person. And then I've got some that have, you know, they had a clinic before and then COVID happened and then they started doing kind of a blended model. Kind of your vision you're saying is probably blended is best, especially if you've already got a lead generation or patient acquisition system in place, right? You pull these patients in, then you educate them about telehealth and kind of use it as an adjunct. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, the, the majority of my clients are uh, brick and mortar outpatient yeah. physical therapy, private owned physical therapy practices. Um, and, you know, they have their challenges now in particular, where, um, first of all, they, they have patients who don't, um, who shouldn't be coming into the office on a regular basis. And they also want to minimize the traffic in in tight quarters, particularly in urban areas where, you know, real estate is expensive and you, know, you don't have these 
these uh, lofty 5,000 square foot offices, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of, there's always bottlenecks and tight spaces in offices. And, you know, if you can minimize that exposure for a lot of people, I think it's really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So just from your, your own experience and you'd recommend more of a blended model or you think there's entirely virtual has its place in the, in the healthcare space. I think it has a place. I think, um, you know, I, I think there are some patients and I, I have some of my own patients. Um, and I, I, I'm seeing, I'm doing that hundred percent virtual. Uh-huh. Like I, I don't have a, 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 a clinic space, a physical office at the moment, clinic space. Right. So I'm doing that and it works for some patients. Um, you know, if, if need be, I will refer them to a colleague, you know, for an inpatient visit or two, um, or to continue their care with them. But, um, some of them can definitely get along without having to ever come into an office. Sure. And I have, I have clients and I've spoken with plenty of people who are, who are definitely pursuing that. They're pursuing this direct consumer, uh, remote care only model. Uh huh. Yeah. I guess um, the how page... about you? Do, do you? do you see a lot of people like that? Yeah, I've Same seen, enough? you know, I don't see patients very much at all. I got something in the works to do some clinical, some clinical work moving forward, you know, after, after some of these big consulting projects wrapped up, but I have mm-hmm. a mix. Some of my, some of my clients have like started during COVID. So they started entirely yeah. virtual. One of them, um, is like in mental health and wellness. And then some of them have been people that have started like mobile outpatient clinics. So I guess the vision will yeah. be they go to the person's house at some point. Um, and then, yeah, there's the sure. brick and mortar folks that kind of have their, uh, their referral systems in place and they're just kind of using telehealth as an adjunct to it. Right. So it's kind of a smattering yeah. all over the place. It's interesting. When we talk I, I think that that's, I, I think that that's pretty cool too. I mean, it really opens things up for traditional private outpatient practices. Um, you, you know, and in, in previous years, in the past few years, I think a lot of outpatient practices have recognized the value in doing um, in-home care as well mm-hmm. for some of their patients, you know, Part B, Medicare, patients who can't get to the clinic um, so, so easily could use the, the home, the services at home, right? You still bill it as Part B. Um, it works. There's definitely a few business models out there that are doing exactly that. So, you know, it, it opens things up. It makes, it adds to the flexibility of how we can, how patients can access us and we can, we can accommodate them. Yeah. So from like a, just a regulatory license standpoint, you know, these, these clinics that are trying to go direct to consumer, obviously PT is probably in a different position because y'all have the compact, but you know, occupational therapy, speech language isn't there yet. So is that a consideration? Like, are we, are we, advising clients basically to stick within your, your zone, your regulatory jurisdiction, or do you see anything in the future as far as updating that? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of people in this space in PT right now who are looking to take advantage of the compact, um, but even just, just get licensed in multiple states. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be in the compact to get a license in another state. It it can be complicated. It can be, um, it can be a little pricey, um, but it's definitely viable. Um, And, you know, larger, larger groups are there. There are definitely a few, I've spoken with a few, um, one private equity group in particular that is looking to get coverage in every state, Um, you, you know, and they don't necessarily need to have, 50 PTs, one in every state. If you have one PT 
and you know, not to give away any secret sauce or anything, but if you have one PT who's licensed in a compact state, they can yeah. be, they can basically treat in what is it, 28 states exactly. now, I think, something like that. Um, and then you just need to fill in the rest of the map. Yeah. Um, which can be, it can be, you know, a PT can be licensed in five, six states at a time without being in compact easily. Yeah. Or they could contract with somebody that's, or more. you know, in that state. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that is happening. Yeah. Awesome. So we talked a, b- a little bit about, I think we're kind of diving into this, broaching into the subject now, like all that PT or, or that telehealth can be for rehab. So in the, in yeah. the space, we, telemedicine and telehealth has kind of been thrown around forever, but really in rehab, it's primarily been used synchronously, right? Like you and me are on a Zoom call right now, chit-chatting, and this is how telehealth right. is happening in the rehab world. But what kind of options should we be looking at and how big should we be thinking? Well, I think, um, first off, asynchronous is such a cool option. Um, I think you can do so many things with it. And there are third-party payers, insurance companies, uh, Medicaid programs that are covering asynchronous physical therapy and other rehab services. Um, And you know, to me, the most obvious thing would be, and I'm working on a model with a, with a client that, you know, we haven't really pulled the trigger on it yet, but the idea is um, essentially send a, a either, either a video to the patient asking them what to do with, with cues for them or basically, or, or even just a text questionnaire. So what I want you to do is I want to see you and you can basically run them through a McKenzie exam, you know, uh-huh. for, for low back pain or, you know, if they're sh- if they're having shoulder pain, you know, let me see you do shoulder flexion. Turn to turn to your side. Show me shoulder flexion. Stand straight ahead. Show me shoulder abduction. Things like that. And basically, you know, functional movements. You can basically run them through an evaluation, and have them record it. They send it back to you. You can do an assessment and figure out what else you need to see. And you know, uh, basically tee up a synchronous visit for the next. You know, for the next visit. So the things that you didn't get from that that asynchronous visit, you can you're you're all ready to go. Um, and point is that that the the PT and the patient do not necessarily have to be in the same place or at the same time on a on the evaluation. Yeah. How does that work you with know, reimbursement? It, are there payers that are willing to to pay for that? Yeah. Um. Exactly that. Um. I know that in New York State. New York State Medicaid pays for asynchronous visits. Oh, awesome. Um, so, um, and I know that there are others. Um, that, that's the only one I know off the top of my head, but I know that there are others, and there's definitely a push. You know, a lot of the telehealth um, lobby is definitely pushing for asynchronous as part of, part of coverage. And it's, it's very prevalent in um, uh, areas of medicine like um, radiology, for example. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Right, the patient's not. The patient's nowhere to be found. Yeah. They're nowhere near the visit when when the radiologist is reviewing their um their their X-rays or MRIs, you know, any of their films. Um, so you know, it's a matter of getting uh getting that approved for PT and uh, and rehab. Yeah, and I guess getting CMS to kind of matriculate that down to the other. You know, everybody falls sure. in line behind sure. them. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know how, uh, I, I'm not sure on the insurance side, how, um, how deeply that is, that, that is assessed or how, how much it's really thought through. 
when something like that is passed, you know, it, it may just be a rubber stamp basically, you know, like yeah. there's with, with the idea being like, okay, we've, we've, we've done synchronous for a few months and that's working out. And you know, all the, um, all the stats and all the, all the reports and studies are showing that it's as effective or more effective than, um, in office. Um, asynchronous is working in certain areas of medicine, maybe it'll work, you know, let's try it in the other let's areas. Of medicine. Yeah. Let's test it. So maybe that will happen. I'm not really sure where, where things are with that. Yeah. Yeah. So well, this, I'm, I'm starting to think now, cause now I'm thinking about asynchronous and the opportunities and assessments and all that. Let's back up a little bit. Yeah. So just from, let's say somebody's starting out and they're kind of tim- intimidated about telehealth <coughs> in general, you've kind of talked about walking through an evaluation over telehealth, but what are the main components that make it different? I mean, obviously you're not in the room, you're not touching a patient, you're not taking measurements. Sure. So how do you make an, adju- an adjustment as a clinician? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, first of all, a lot of the assessment has to be about um, the subjective. Uh-huh. So you, you, it has, it, it's about this communication. And, you know, I think we all know any um, experienced therapist or medical professional knows that you learn a lot about what's going on with the patient from your conversation with them, from your subjective assessment. Um, it, uh, and, you know, and then your, your, your physical exam essentially is a confirmation or a rejection of what your, what your hypothesis is <laughs> from, yeah, from what they're reporting. And, and, and sure, you, you know, patients may report some things that aren't a hundred percent accurate. They may be a little bit subjective to them, but you know, as your more experienced practitioners, definitely know how to guide a conversation, listen well, listen for certain cues where the patient may or may not be tuning into exactly what's going on with them and follow up in that, in that uh, way. So I, I think um, medical practitioners who have done telehealth for three months, four months, or longer than that, you know, in, in over, over the years, have learned those sort of skills and have gotten a lot better at it in, in a short amount of time. Just recognizing that you you have to use other you have to use your other senses essentially uh-huh. you can't touch the patient right it's like and and I used to do this before I before I started telehealth I kind of I was I was a skeptic like a lot of people are and for um uh, for my own purposes I would I would occasionally treat a patient particularly someone who I knew I would do a treatment or try to assess them without touching them during a session. And I wanted to see how I could do. I want to see how effective I could be during a session without touching them. And, you know, you, you, first of all, you learn a lot just by doing that. Yeah, and exactly. I recognize that it, it's just not, you don't have to, you don't have to put your hands on a patient every visit um, to be effective. Yeah. Yeah. And that speaks to the whole idea of like passive treatments versus active treatments. And I said this a little bit ago, like sure. the, one of the, one of the great benefits that I see in telehealth is that it's kind of put that constraint on us, right? Like we can't touch a patient if they're yeah. on the other end of a computer screen. So it's making us kind of rely on those high level, like high value, high impact services that we can offer those, those real skills, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we bring a lot more to a, a visit and encounter with a patient than just our hands. And yeah. sure, you know, it, we're, the tactile component of treatment is extremely valuable, but what we, the other components are our knowledge, our problem solving skills, our compassion, 
and our other communication skills, verbally and orally, just listening, you know? Yeah. It, it all seems to come back to those soft skills, the interpersonal skills. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I, I think um, every, 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 every PT has known another PT who's a, a, a wizard with their hands, but doesn't necessarily communicate very well with their patients. And they're not always, they're, they're not always as effective as someone else who's a really good communicator and is very compassionate and just has a good knowledge base and problem solving ability. Yeah. No, I couldn't have said yeah. it better myself. That's awesome. I mean, that, 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 yeah, that patient connection, that practitioner patient yeah. connection is so important. The therapeutic alliance, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, all right. Great. So back then to, to telehealth and some of this asynchronous stuff. So yeah. let's say you're wanting to implement telehealth. You're wanting to do it more long-term. You've got a vision. You want to be innovative. What, what's out there besides asynchronous or are there things within the asynchronous? Because I'm thinking like AI and ways to integrate tech. Have you been working with any of that stuff? Um, I have, uh, you know, I've worked with a few technology companies who are doing those sort of, um, who have those sort of programs. Um, you know, my, I, I wouldn't say my area of expertise is in, and, you know, that's sort of differentiating into the area of virtual care, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Where, where it's, um, there are companies out there. Uh, there was a reflection, which I'm not really sure where they are right now, uh, Sword. And, you know, they have um, AI-driven programs that essentially progress a patient through a, a program. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's considered, it's not considered a protocol. It's really, a, you know, an evidence-based program of, of care, right, um, based, on, based on the patient's response and based on their, their, out, their outcomes from previous visits. It'll progress them, and they'll have a PT monitor a a slew of patients, you know, yeah. maybe 50 patients over, over a week or so. Um, and that's not really I, telehealth. I, that's more like, like yeah, driven virtual, virtual health. Yeah. And I think, I think that it's important that um, PTs and eventually patients understand the difference uh-huh. with that. Um, it's a, it's a different road to go down and I'm, I'm unsure about it. I'm not, I don't, I, I definitely don't poo-poo it. I mean, I think that there's going to be a place for it. I think that there's going to be, that's something that's probably going to happen. Um, you know, think of the economies of scale and think of the, the cost savings and all that. So uh-huh. I'm sure some, some payers will, will love that sort of thing. Um, and um, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what the outcomes are like. I'm not sure what patient um, uh, patient satisfaction is like. I, I from, Everything that I've seen so far, it's pretty close to, to uh, care from a, from a person, person-to-person care. Um, I don't know. What do you think about it? What have you seen in, in that space? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple companies kind of in the same space doing like working on AI-driven healthcare, but it's, it always seems to hinge on it's very difficult to get, like when you're building something for like the average low back, if, if you've read the book, um, the, the, what is it? The end of average. So he talks about taking you know, 10,000 measurements of you know, airplane pilots and none of them, you know, none of them were 10 out of 10 on these, these 10 metrics. So uh, if you think about that, like all these AI driven and virtual health platforms and programs are more or less built towards typical outcomes and typical individuals. Average. Yeah. So 
if you're building for the average, it's probably there's there's going to be some people that fit that slip through the cracks. So I'm always kind of it might work for a lot of people, but there's going to be some people that that need some individualized, you know, sure. insight sure. or adjustment or something. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, based on how how healthcare is evolving at the moment, I don't doubt that it will be a a a part of a part of the picture, yeah. a piece of the puzzle. You know, um, I think those companies will probably find a market. I think there'll there'll definitely be a, a demand for that the low cost, um, high volume sort of AI driven care. Um, I don't think it's going to replace 100%. It's not going to replace um, human care yeah. and human interaction. Who knows? Maybe it might be one of those things that kind of takes all those low-level you know, patients off of the schedule and frees PTs up to work with you know, patients that really need more, <laughs> more sure. complex, more sure. intense treatments. Yeah, and I, I think that's part, of the, that's part of the argument for it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, to, to free up the... the Free up the practitioners for uh, for the patients who have more of a need. Yeah, yeah, the more of a makes need. sense. <laughs> All right. So, how does in the in the telehealth space then? How does treatment change? We've kind of talked about running through a treatment without touching a patient. So, what might something like that look like? Let's talk about synchronous first, and then we can talk about asynchronous after that. Sure. Um, uh, I guess from from an assessment point of view, um, as, as I said, I think the subjective is is vital. Um, yeah, the the manner in which you assess a patient is is very important. I mean, it's really important that the patient understands that their their positioning and their angle and the the view of where they are is um, is very valuable. I I have a, a patient that I'm taking care of now who's a she's a kindergarten teacher, but she seemed to always like understand where to be in in front of the camera, and she I got her. The, the the volume is always right on her on her computer, and she you know she turns to the side before me even asking her when I, when I want to see her do flex. I'm like, and I asked her just yesterday. I'm like, how did you how do you know like your this positioning? So like you're always you always seem to like have a have an intuition for it. She's like, yeah, I was an actress before, so oh. I did a lot of <laughs> I did I did I, I did a lot of work in front of the camera before before I was a school teacher. I was like. All right. That explains it. And a lot of patients do not, though. A lot of patients don't get that. So it's really important in PT or the, the OT or um, OT, yeah, um, explain to the patient that the, the plane and the angle that they're on is really important for us to be able to get a clear assessment of what's going on. And there, there is a study out there about range of motion uh, during a during a telehealth visit, a virtual, a remote visit, uh -huh. that shows that if you if you put an angle, if you put a joint um, on um, on the same level as the camera, you can essentially get an accurate you can get an, an as accurate a goniometric measurement on the screen as you can in person. Oh, okay. So you know if, you, if you're measuring someone's shoulder flexion, for example, right? So I'm like right there, right? I go like this, and I know I'm not in the camera, I'm not back far enough, yeah. but if you put a goniometer up to the screen while I did that, you'd be able to get an accurate measurement of my shoulder flexion. Oh, awesome. So from that so, angle, then you could get those objective measurements and you set those goals, right? You can, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, the, the, there are definitely things that are harder to measure than others. Passive range of motion is one. Strength is another. 
strength, I mean, you're typically measuring um, functional functional ability, functional movements more than um, manual muscle testing. And you know, we've been we've been um, told for years that we should be doing functional setting right. functional goals. Anyway, maybe maybe someone knew that this moment was going to come. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, special tests. There there are some there are some special tests you can do um, remotely, but for the most part, it's they're they're not quite as accurate. Um, when it comes down to it, most patients I've found that I can be very effective with most patients um, by doing a, a virtual assessment and treatment. Um, some patients definitely need to be seen in person. They need a an in person second opinion, whether it be from me or a, a referral, you know, someone I refer them to. Um, but you know, I've I've found that patients are getting better. You know, PT PT's working this way. Yeah, yeah. The outcomes yeah. are there, right? So it leaves some outcomes are there <laughs> for sure. And and I, I'm curious to see. I mean, there are definitely some studies that are that are ongoing right now. I know the private practice section of the APTA is collecting data. Um, and there are other groups that are collecting data on outcomes during this, during the uh, telehealth, uh, during the pandemic. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And, and I know, uh, I know payers are very curious to see what they look like too. Yeah. I kind of feel like this, you know, this period of time is kind of them data gathering, right? <laughs> before they, yeah. before yeah. we get any big decisions about whether or not it gets covered in a, at a private insurance level. Yeah, that's true. So how about asynchronous treatment? What would it kind of follow the same script as almost a, an assessment where maybe you're having the patient do some exercise or do some activity and then you're providing feedback? Um, yes, that's, that's almost exactly it. I mean, there's, there's plenty of opportunities there, you know, certainly in, in the, um, in the rehab space, you could, you could do that where patient records their, um, a set of exercises that you, that you give to them. Uh, they record themselves doing that. You give them feedback. There's also um, in the performance area or, you know, return to sports, um, recording a patient recording themselves running on a track or hitting a baseball or their tennis swing. Um, you know, and these are, these are things that people have been doing forever or yeah. at least, you know, in the last 10, 20 years, um, it wasn't called asynchronous telehealth, but that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's another version of that. Um, there are definitely other applications and, you know, I, I'd like to see some other, I'm sure there will be other ideas that, that come down the pipeline, um, on how to do, how to do things like this. Asynchronous can also be used in workplace assessments, um, uh, ADL environments, um, you know, home environments, things like that. Um, have you utilized any, um, asynchronous no, all uh, the stuff we've done has been all uh, all synchronous. You know, we did we set up the uh, the operational guidelines for the state of Georgia's Department of Behavioral Health and all that. You know, we're de you're dealing with with staff and provider residential agencies who either don't have the time or don't have the experience to try to set up something. You know, record it and send it to you. Right. So, well, my contention on that, Rafi, is that uh, it's um it it might be it might actually be more time efficient for them. To, to do it that way, you know, to actually to do, to record something on their own time uh -huh. and then, and then be able to get it to you whenever. on their own, you know, when, <laughs> whenever, yeah, whenever, exactly. So, you know, you send them a, 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 an outline and by, you know, get, get, get me a video by Friday and, uh, you know, we'll give, we'll give you a response on it. Oh yeah. No, that's a great idea. It could be some value in that. I don't know. Yeah. 
<laughs> so outside of, um, I'm thinking like what telehealth can be and asynchronous and kind of the, the doors that, that opens up. What about things yeah. like, and maybe you're already working in this space a little bit, but where it's, it's PT or it's OT, but it's kind of medically based wellness or something like that, where you could pull people into like a group program and then maybe individualized sessions. Have you been seeing any of that happening in the space? Yeah. I mean, one thing I, I really like is, and it's not asynchronous, it's synchronous, uh, group, group therapy sessions, particularly for seniors. Um, uh-huh. You know, so... Like um, fall prevention or something? Yeah, exactly. Fall prevention or a, um, you know, not necessarily seniors, but uh, like a back group, a, a lumbar or back, uh, back pain group, um, uh, Parkinson's groups. They're, they're definitely groups that are doing that. And a lot of them had done, they had done, you know, like one of them, uh, one of my practices has traditionally done a Parkinson's group in, in their office, uh-huh. but you know, they're trying to avoid that. And they, a lot of their patients don't want to come into the office. Um, they don't have to wear a mask if they're at home. You know, they can, they can be, do, and, and they can be in the same group setting, that social setting with their other classmates. Uh-huh. You know, the other people that they have been doing, um, had been doing the, their program with before. Yeah. Yeah. How about, um, as far as asynchronous, um, I mean, you asked about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you certainly can do re- recorded classes. Um, I'm not sure about reimbursement for that sort of thing, but great ideas i mean you know like there's there's no reason why a and you could do a component of asynchronous and synchronous like a weekly class and then the patient have like a one-on-one with the instructor or with a pt Uh um after or before yeah sure because i'd imagine at least going forward while while a lot of the reimbursement stuff kind of settles and the dust kind of comes down from it some of the people that are doing the innovative stuff are going to be in the in the private pay and the cash-based system right yeah i think so i i think so i mean i think some there will be payers and uh, possibly even medicare who pay for things like this uh synchronous asynchronous and remote patient monitoring even um in in the rehab space but there will be some payers who won't pay for it so um i think it's an opportunity to to build that cash practice a little bit uh-huh. because there's you know there, there there is i think there's a recognized value in it um, a lot of patients have realized it and, and providers have realized the value in being able to offer services um, basically at will, you know, when, mm-hmm. when the patient, when a patient wants it um, and they don't necessarily have to get to your office to, to, um, to be there with you. Yeah. No, I like the, the idea of getting almost not entirely away from insurance, but to the point where, you know, a good bit of your yeah. clinic or business is coming from, you know, call it direct to consumer or call it private pay, whatever you want to call yeah. it is, is very valuable for businesses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree with you that I think it's an important component of every practice. I think we have a little bit difference of opinion in how much um, yeah. practitioners should be getting away from insurance uh-huh. um, and make call, call me old school. Um, <laughs> but I've always, <laughs> I've always, I've always operated in a, a, you know, a third-party payer environment. Um, so I'm fairly comfortable with it, and I, yeah. I think it, I think it's it's realistic for a lot of patients. It's mo- it's much more realistic for a lot of patients. Um, I understand that uh, copays are going up, and coverage is going down, and reimbursement is going down, and it's a challenging environment. 
Um, but practitioners definitely have to pick their spots, and it is important to have a cash-based component to every practice. Um, what do you do? You sort of have like a number or a, a like a percentage of a practice that you think should be cash-based? Yeah, I think it it depends on their their target market, right? So if they're yeah. if they're in the elderly space, you're you're already dealing with Medicare, and it's not like you can opt sure. out like a physician. So that obviously changes what right, you can right. do. But I mean, I've had some clients that have have been in like the sport and and uh, performance space that have moved entirely. Yeah. 100% cash based, you know, they provide their patients yep. a super bill and, and they submit for reimbursement. And at some level, I feel like, you know, that's such a great model, just from the standpoint of incentives and making sure that the incentives between the clinician and the client are aligned, you know, because they're the patient is paying you directly. So there's that incentive there, as opposed to I'm treating you, but I'm really worried about what your insurance is going to pay. Um, right. But at the same time, you know, I work and have consulted in the spaces of like behavioral health and developmental disabilities where people just can't afford that, you know? So it's, sure there are people yeah. that if everyone went to a cash-based model would not receive services unless the businesses are That's set right. up to offer some kind of, you know, pro bono work or something. So I think it's got its place. I think for the general practice out there, you know, 20% coming in private pay would be, you know, a nice little revenue stream that you yeah. can operate from. I agree with that. I agree with that. For sure, for sure, and you know, uh, depending on obviously the the population you're working with, um, the socioeconomics of your of, of your uh, community, um, it's it's more realistic, and you you know maybe you can bump that number up to yeah. 20, 25, 30 percent, forty percent, and yeah, uh, I have traditionally worked with elderly patients, yeah. um, orthopedics as opposed to sports, so you, you know it is. There's there's always a dependence on a third party payer, and you know that's that's the environment that we're in. I'm, you know, I'm what what really interests me is more value based care, and uh-huh. you know we're seeing that there are some there are some groups that are succeeding in that um, in that arena, and they've done it because they have proven that they can that they're going to save money for a system. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I don't know how prevalent it's going to be in the next few years but eventually eventually and this is what all the this is what all the telehealth people talk about yeah. is how what how um valuable telehealth is in a value-based system because it, it is efficient it's a way of connecting with a patient without um a significant time commitment on both sides uh-huh. right if a patient comes comes to your office typically it, it takes them at least 30 minutes between their, their, uh, travel transportation time. back and forth yeah. travel time. And usually more, I mean, usually more figure an hour, on, you, you know, half an hour on both sides, maybe or more. Um, you, you can't, even if they just need 15 minutes with you, even if that's all they need for that day, it's, it's almost like it wasn't worth their time to like, they traveled an hour for 15 minutes. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. it's kind of like, you know, like that, that does not align for the patient. So, you know, I've, I've always felt uncomfortable about that. Um, but telehealth makes that much more, it makes that much more realistic. Like, you know, we can get on, we can get on, if all you need is 15 minutes of my time today, we can do that. If you need an hour, we can do an hour. We'll schedule it either way. Um, but also it, it allows for more frequent touches with the patient. 
mm-hmm. and maybe in shorter bursts, right? So yeah. more frequent, shorter sessions can be can be very effective for, for a lot of patients. I mean, how many times has a patient come to you and been like, I felt great after I left you. I felt pretty good the next day. And then for the next two or three days, my shoulder was killing me. And I wish I, I was able to get in for an appointment with you. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and all it was about was, was their positioning or they just needed they just needed a few minutes of your time or advice or, or a particular yeah. stretch to, to loosen things up. Yeah, exactly. No, I like that idea of the shorter bursts. So value-based yeah. care, when you're talking about yeah. that filling, are you talking about the reimbursement model, like a value-based reimbursement or outcome-based measures or? Ultimately, yes. You know, ultimately it is definitely about um, reimbursement models that are based on, um, uh, I mean, I spoke with the, the CEO of a group in Colorado this week, and they are they they've partnered with a primary care group in Colorado, and they they essentially they have um, negotiated their rates on the medical side of of um, of care. So they're not they're not negotiating with an insurance company as an ancillary um, practice getting paid on a fee-for-service basis. They are part of the medical team, essentially, and they ultimately get paid about $200 per visit because of that. Now, they're not getting, they're not getting a check for $200 every time the patient comes in, but they do get a check for $1,000 or so, let's say, after the patient does five visits, or the patient has come in, done five visits, and, and walked away with a good outcome and been healed, and you know they'll get $1,000 for that. Yeah. Um, meaning that they, they're paid for the full length of care. Yeah, they're getting paid basically for the project, if you would. <laughs> like exactly. For exactly. That, as no, opposed that's a, to per that, treatment. That's a, gr- that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, with that, and maybe, you know, those five visits, maybe there's a couple of telehealth uh, calls sprinkled in as well. You know, whether it's a phone call or, or a video visit or, you know, whatever, or an asynchronous um, video comes 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 to them and they see the patient you know hitting a tennis ball and so that they're prepared for the next visit things like that yeah yeah that's great because then it is like you're pulling away and again they, that the incentives are lined up right so i'm not totally, incentivized totally. to only treat you or only give you my time <laughs> when you're in front of me and i'm billing you know from my my minutes basically yeah. right yeah and yeah exactly and and look I'm, I'm hoping that some of the the larger pt groups are are looking at things in that in that way I think for the value of, of PT and OT is going to be significantly increased when there's an understanding um, of how we can save money in the system. Exactly. And we save money in the system by A, being the first, the, the, the first medical practitioner that an injured person sees in many uh-huh. cases, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if they, if they go to a surgeon first, what happens? Yeah. They're, they're now being, their care is being, guided by that surgeon and it's you know all intentions are good i'm sure but their interventions are typically significantly more expensive than our interventions and not necessarily better outcomes in a lot of cases yeah there's a great book out there called surgery the great placebo have you read it it's a <laughs> no physician no, no. that he's a surgeon that talks about kind of like how outcomes post-surgery aren't any better oftentimes depending like those chronic low back pains they have a back surgery and they're still in pain yeah. you know five years later sure so sure. yeah i love the idea of value-based care i think it's it's hard to wrap my head around it from a 
just from a standpoint of understanding like value and the whole emotional contribution of value and, you know, value is very subjective and there's always different, the different uh, priorities and alignments within organizations and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they pan out over time. Yeah, for sure. Um, And, you know, I I think there's, there's a lot of, um, there's, there's definitely pressure from, from different sides on, on how it's going to play out. You know, everybody has their, their, their agenda and their, um, their incentives. Um, you know, we all we all know that hospitals make a significant portion of their revenue from elective surgeries. Exactly. Yeah. So you know they're kind of disincentivized to 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 reduce the cost of care. Yeah. Well, especially if they don't, if they're referring out to to rehab clinicians or clinicians that aren't within their system too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. Exactly. Alrighty. Well. Are there any last minute thoughts you'd have about telehealth, about what you want, uh, maybe someone listening to know about the value that it can provide or the options out there? Well, um, I, I said this before COVID and, you know, I, I, I stick to it. I think that there's tons of value in telehealth for, and, you know, most of my perspective is from a private practice um, point of view for OTs and PTs. Um, there's, opportunities for triage and initial engagement with patients, um, for engagement with patients, for actual care, assessment, treatment with patients. And I think it's, it's another avenue to connect with your patients and, and providers and, and referral sources. And we should all be utilizing it in some capacity. Um, it definitely takes a commitment. It's, you know, if, if you have like one guy at your office who's the telehealth guy, yeah. It ends up kind of being just like a new piece of equipment in the corner. You know, it, it should be a part of every practice. Front desk needs to be educated on on how you're going to utilize it and how valuable it is. Your practitioners need to be educated, your referral sources, your patients. So, you know, it's important that every practice is communicating that as part of their their PR, their marketing, and, you know, not just like a little, little blurb in the corner of your website. You know, click yeah. here for a telehealth visit. Um, and you know, it, it creates efficiencies and, and creates opportunities within a practice. Yeah, no, that's great. It's gotta be part. It can't be an yeah. afterthought, right? Yeah. 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 It should be interwoven in the practice. For yes. sure. Well, thanks Daniel for yeah. taking the time. Where can people find you? First of all, thank you, Rafi. I appreciate it. Always great conversation. We've had a, a, yeah. a few of these already and, uh, yeah, it's, it's always fun. great talking to you. I love, I, I love, I love your insights. So it's great. Um, my company is uh, Telept Solutions, and the website is www.telept-solutions.com. Um And you can email me also, uh, dseid at telept-solutions.com. Anytime, I always look forward to uh, conversations about telehealth and how we can um, improve a specific practices or improve the, the whole healthcare system in general. Yeah. It's really exciting to me. Yeah, and you've got oh, a course, right, right. on your Appreciate site about uh, about telehealth. I got getting started, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. That's great. Um, Zero to Launch, which is a course for um, physical therapists and practice owners on some of the logistics of starting as a PT, um, as a telehealth physical therapist or occupational therapist for yeah. that matter. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Daniel. Have a good one. Thank you, Rocky. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Daniel Sadler from 
a telept solutions it's funny you go into these interviews sometimes thinking you're going to talk about a certain topic like in this case telehealth and it's funny how the conversation tends to glide into other areas we we talked a lot about value-based healthcare and different pricing models and subscription and how much of your business should be you know out of network or direct pay versus insurance based and we even talked about what is value and sub- the subjectivity of value and all that so i love having these kind of conversations it it's great it opens up uh opens up your knowledge base if you would to a wider wider range of viewpoints um Otherwise, that's that's all I've got for this episode. If you like what we're doing here, head on over to iTunes. Give us a rating and review. It helps people find the show, helps people uh, see us and think we're cool and come listen to us too. Um, if you want to get notified whenever you drop a new episode, you can head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show and sign up there. You can also browse all of the other interviews and articles that we've uh, dropped to date. Again, that's www.betteroutcomes.show. Until the next episode, guys, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you all then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.